And I'm just going to catch us up a little bit where, where we've been sermon-wise and uh, where, where we're heading a little bit. Back in September, we started a sermon series through the book of Acts called The Church That Jesus Builds. And this thing was meant to take us all the way until uh, September of this year. I think it still will. But when uh, COVID-19 hit, we decided to pivot a little bit and uh, do a message just really reflecting back on who God is. And again, Matt, we didn't do a graphic for it or, or anything like that. We were just kind of, you know, kind of running this thing by, by the seat of our pants. And so we spent four weeks just talking about who God is going through the Psalms. And um, so we're gonna, we're gonna just make another, another change, another pivot right now, uh, going into a series that I'm calling Life, Death, and the Afterlife. And the reason why we're doing that is because when we find ourselves in these times, it kind of goes back to the song we just sang. We wanna make sure that what we believe about God, um, the theology that we have about what the Bible tells us about our life and, and our death and what's going to happen to us beyond that, we wanna make sure that that is firm and that is secure in our life so that when we sing a song like Christ our hope in life and death it's, it's not just simply that line but there's a rootedness in those words that goes back to scripture so that we feel like we are people that are are anchored in truth and not just spiraling or not just you know just clicking on Amazon Prime trying to get some health self-help books you know coming in the mail so we can figure out what it is we need to do to sort of like keep our spirits up and, and self-improve through this because we know from scripture that all of those things although some of them may have a particular place in our lives at certain times, then they're not going to ever be our ultimate uh, anchor for what it is that we're, we're facing. And so we just want to go through scripture and talk a little about issues of, of life and death uh, and the afterlife. So you can go ahead, if you have your Bible, we go through the ESV version, if you have a device, and you can turn to Genesis chapter one. I'm going to be bouncing all over the place, but I'm going to just try to settle us into a couple of texts so we can start in Genesis chapter one. So I don't know about you, I, I appreciate uh, watching people that are amazing at what they do. I, I especially like watching, you know, documentaries that kind of give you insight into the heart and the soul behind whether it's artists or musicians or, or even athletes. A lot of the time when you watch things like this, watch documentaries like this, one of the lines that you'll hear them say is, this is what I exist for. So in other words, you got an athlete who has just spent his whole or her whole life kind of building this skill or this particular talent or gift that God has given them. And you, you see them like in their prime and you see them you know, in these moments where you just stand back and you go, it's incredible what they're doing. And then you usually hear them say something like, man, this is what I live for. This is what I exist for. And we have just this admiration. We have a kind of a certain admiration for them because we feel that these are men and women who have discovered the one passion that defines their existence. And, and we want that. That's something we want too. We all want to find that one singular passion to exist for that will really fill this inner longing we have for significance and meaning and identity and legacy. But wisdom leads a person to questioning what those things are. And to this question in particular, which is, can existing for any of those things fulfill God's purpose for our existence? In other words, can existing for some kind of passion or career or family or friend or hobby or charity or goal or 
project? Can it answer the question of why we exist? So this morning, we're gonna explore that question through the lens of scripture. I'm gonna frame it like this in these three things. We are image bearers, number one, who need our images restored by Christ, number two, to number three, uh, understand and fulfill God's purpose for our existence. And so that's what we're gonna be diving into. That gives you a little framing of what we're gonna be doing this morning. So the first thing is this, as we're sort of thinking about life and death and the afterlife, and we're asking this question, which is the name of our sermon this morning, why we exist. we want to start with Revelation 4.11. I'm starting there. I know I had you turn to Genesis, but I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, as we, as we explore this idea of being image bearers of God. And Revelation 4.11 tells us this. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. It says, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were Created. So we just want to start right there and we want to get one thing straight before we move on, which is the fact that we exist at all is because God, it says here, willed everything he created into existence. So what that means for us is that in our tendency to, to kind of navel gaze, if you're like me, you're a navel gazer and get all, you know, existential about our lives and our hopes and our dreams. It's important for us to remember that that none of us are self-created. Like none of you had the ability to sort of call yourself, to will yourself into existence. We exist because God existed from all eternity and then chose to call us into existence. And by the way, this passage from Revelation is really meant to, to humble us, right? To remind us that we are not creators. You are not a creator. I'm not a creator. Ah, Ronnie, you know, I do creative things. Yeah, but you're not a creator. You didn't create something out of nothing the way we understand how God created everything in the book of Genesis. We're not really creators. We take materials that God already created and sort of reshape them into beautiful things. So there's, we're part of that creation process, but we're not really creators. We're actually more created than we are creators. And in fact, God reminded a guy in the Old Testament named Job of this truth when he said this to Job after Job had just experienced some horrendous trials in his life. I mean, trials that most of us will will never even experience even a small percentage of in our lives. And when Job was sort of wondering and questioning and and experiencing a lot of uh, self-pity in his life, um, this is how God responded to him before he said anything else. He said, hey, Job, By the way, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then he says this, he says, tell me if you have understanding. And so obviously Job doesn't have a real great comeback to that because Job wasn't around when God laid the foundation of the earth. He doesn't have this level of understanding that an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God is going to have. So when we ask the question of why we exist... We need to understand that we don't get to answer that for ourselves because we are not the cause of our existence. The reason, the the answer to that must come from somebody outside of us. It must come from the author of creation, right? 
So in other words, like when, when you read a novel, and if you're like me, you're on your like 11th one this week, right? But when you read a novel, like you don't get to decide how that thing ends. You don't get to create the plot of that book. It's not your story. You're reading something that was authored by someone else. So the, the end of the story and the plot and the character development, it comes to you because it was created for you. So this gives us a little context as we come here into Genesis 1. We're going to pick up in verse 26, and this is what it says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So it tells us God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, male and female he created him. So Wayne Grudem tells us about this, these words image and likeness here that they refer to something that is similar but not identical to the thing that it represents or is an image of. So what, what that means for us is that God created us to be like him without being an identical recreation of him. So here's, here's what I mean by that. So if you could have seen my dad back in the day, like walk and talk, you'd be like the apple don't fall far from the tree when you look at me, right? Because I, I walk and I talk just like this guy. Uh, if you saw my, you know, the duck lips that my mom gets on her face when she reads or when she's working on something, you'd be like, I'm looking at Ronnie right now and I feel like super unsettled about that, right? If you watch my daughter, like this look that she gets on her face when she's concentrating, it looks just like me who looks just like my mom. It's like, it's the same look, right? It's been passed down. So I, I, I'm like my parents, just like my daughter is like me, but I'm not my parents, just like my daughter is not me. So we, in that sense, we are like God. We are made in his image and after his likeness, but we are not God, just like I'm, I'm not my mom or my dad. So Genesis tells us that we bear God's image or likeness or resemblance as male and female. And we also, he says, he points out here, when he uses this word dominion, is we bear the responsibility of having dominion over all of the earth. And what this means is that he calls all human beings to fill the earth with his glory by creating culture right? So that was what's called the cultural mandate. That's something that God gave us the responsibility of as people that were made in his image to have that level of responsibility and dominion over all of the other things that he created, which were good things, but not created in his own image. So what we want to do is ask, well, what are some of the ways then um, as image bearers that we bear God's resemblance? Well, Again, Wayne Grudem says we have four specific aspects to our character that is like God in the way that we are made in his image. It's four things. The first one is moral, spiritual, mental, and relational. So um, one of the aspects that we are made in God's image is that we are, we're moral creatures, right? We are accountable before God for our actions because we have an inner sense of right and wrong that sets us apart from his other creations, namely animals, right? So when we behave morally, our likeness to God's holiness and our likeness to God's righteousness is reflected in those moments. So one of the aspects that is like God, like us, is, is that we are moral. The second one is that we're spiritual. So in addition to our physical bodies, we, we have these immaterial spirits, meaning we have a spiritual life that is able to relate to God as a person. 
And in addition to that, we also have immortality since we will not cease to exist, right? Our, our spirits live on, they're eternal, we live forever. So like God, we are moral, we are spiritual. And the third one is that we are, we're mental, right? We, we have the ability to think. We have the ability to think logically. We have the ability to learn and to reason. We're able to use complex language and engage in areas such as you know, the arts and music and literature and science. So our, our degree and our complexity of emotions, this is one of the things that also shows the vast difference between us and the rest of creation. And then of course, the fourth thing um, is that we're relational. We're made in God's image and we're also relational like God. We're able to exist in relationships uh, and in communities that are reflected through friendship and, and marriage and the church. So, so those are four ways that God has made us like himself as we mirror uh, his image. And by the way, if you survey the rest of creation, wisdom leads you to the realization just very quickly that the only thing God made that was most like himself uh, was us. And this is what gives us a particular kind of significance and a particular kind of dignity. So we have a significance being made in the image of God because our existence comes from a declaration by our creator that what he made was good. Now, because we corrupted that good by our sin, God had to send Jesus so that he could then declare us righteous or good once again. But even though our image was lost, even though our image had, had been marred and corrupted by sin, it wasn't lost altogether. We still bear much of God's image. It hasn't been lost completely. In fact, all of mankind still bears a resemblance to his or her creator. And here, here's what you can liken it to. You know, if winter ever ends, and if you're in Ohio, you know, there's a lot of questions on whether that's going to happen. Um, some of you are going to plant gardens again. And you're likely going to plant them in the same place that they existed last year. So even though winter has ravaged that garden, it still bears some resemblance to the garden that you had last summer when everything was in bloom, right? The soil is still there. You just need to rip up what's dead and replant. So in the same way God made us in his image, he declared it good this is where we find our significance as people, as human beings. It's something that comes outside of us because the person that created us was not us, it was God. So we have a particular kind of significance being made in the image of God. And the second thing we have is a particular kind of dignity. So this means that all human beings on the face of the earth, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of religion or economics, man, they need to be treated with dignity. Because our baseline altogether as human beings is that we are image bearers of God. So the way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you treat others, man, that carries a particular kind of weight, not only to our fellow brothers and sisters, but in the eyes of God. And in fact, it's shameful how Christians treat other people. It's shameful the way Christians even talk about other people, thinking God somehow like has headphones on and is not listening to the things we're saying. If you don't believe me, just check social media today after we're done here with the service. It's shameful because 
all human beings have been created with a particular kind of significance and a particular kind of dignity as image bearers of God. So the reason this is important knowledge to have in knowing why we exist, again, is not so that all of a sudden right now we're esteeming ourselves more, but it's so that we esteem God. Because the world talks about humans having low self-esteem issues, and, and, and we do, but it's not because we don't esteem ourselves highly enough. It's that we don't esteem God highly enough. And when that happens, here's what happens. Other people are affected. So when we don't esteem God highly enough, we esteem others much less. And that's problematic for us. And that's the result of our image being marred by sin. So we are image bearers. And the second point here is that we need our images restored by Christ because sin marred our image. It didn't destroy it completely, but it deeply disfigured it. And which, by the way, we get this gruesome picture of when we read how Isaiah describes Jesus in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, 14. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, this is Isaiah prophesying about the death of Jesus, Isaiah 52, 14. And this is what he says. Listen, he goes, as many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So that passage tells us that the, the broken and crucified body of Jesus, this describes the effects that sin had on us as image bearers. In fact, Christ, that, that vision or that view that Isaiah gives us of Christ des describes it. Our sin has corrupted our hearts beyond human semblance. Our humanity has been lost, it has been decreased because of our sin. And so the humanity that God created us to have as a reflection of himself, it's been disfigured because we exchanged what Paul tells us is the glory and truth of our creator to worship images he created instead. And tells us this in Romans 1, 23, he says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And by the way, like this is just not an unnatural or unusual concept for us, right? I mean, all of us can relate to this like in our own lives. We all have cars, we all have furniture, we all have appliances that have not been cared for, not been maintained over the years. Um, they have not been sort of kept the way they were intended to, which is why garages exist for us, right? We let things go, right? Things get rusty, things stop working, they lose their purpose and they cease to function the way that they were intended to when they were new. And this is why we go through the process of restoring old things back to their original condition. So in the same way, Christ came to earth as the image of the invisible God in order to restore us back to our original condition. Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many Brothers. So what we're going to look at here, if you want to turn to Colossians 1, is we're going to see Paul describing the image of God's son in Colossians 1 verse 15. So if you want to turn there, I'm, I'm going to read about um, how we are to look at our, this, this 
image that we are being conformed to, Paul kind of lays it out as we look to Jesus as the image that God always intended us to be conformed back to. And I'm going to pick up in verse 15, and this is what it says for us if you want to follow along. It says, he is, speaking of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, speaking of Jesus, preeminent. All right. Now this is an incredible, we'll just stop right there. This is just an incredibly dense and beautifully layered passage. So the best I can do is try to summarize how Paul is describing Jesus here. To understand what a restored image looks like, God gave us Jesus to behold, who is his visible image, Paul tells us. So this is what we have to remember about Jesus. Jesus is not God Jr., right? He is the son of God who is fully man and fully God. So to be restored back to God's image means being conformed to the image of his son, Jesus, who Paul tells us is preeminent or superior or above all other things. This is who God is conforming us to. By him, through him and for him, it says, all things were created. He existed eternally before all things. And he is the reason all things exist and all things are held together. This is who God is restoring us back to. All right, so I need you to listen to me right now because God is not making you a better version of yourself. That's not what he's doing. That is not what Paul is describing here when he describes being conformed to the image of Christ. He's not making you a better person. The reason why I'm passionate about this is because I talk to some of you. And when we get into the good news of the gospel, this whole, yeah, I think it's God just making me a little bit better. I think it's God just making me a better person. That would be awesome if it was found anywhere in scripture, right? But do you see the ridiculousness of that way of thinking when we begin to understand that we're not made in our own likeness, but we were originally made in God's likeness. In other words, follow me here. He's not saying, Ronnie, the goal here for you is to improve. So let me increase some of your good qualities. Let me make you a little less angry, a little less depressed. Let me give you some better jokes. And I think we'll have something nice for everyone to see. Like that's not what God is doing. If that's all that restoring our image meant, then we wouldn't need God to conform us to the image of Jesus. We could just do it on our own like we're going to as soon as we can get our own haircuts. We're gonna attempt that, right? As soon as we're allowed to do that. If it's not more than this, okay? If it's not more than simply improving our self-image, getting haircuts, being able to, to get to the store and get product again. The question of why we exist, and it just becomes subjective then. It just becomes obscured. Jesus is how we see the lengths God took to restore our image back to its original condition. Does that make sense? According to the Apostle Paul, our image-bearing restoration process, man, it had to happen through death. 
Someone had to die for someone new to be born. And that someone who died, we are told in scripture was Jesus. Because restoration can't happen without reconciliation with God due to our corrupted images by sin. So this is the work Jesus did to restore us and reconcile us back to God. We pick back up in that Colossians passage and this is what Paul says in verse 19. He said, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. And then he says this, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which Paul, I, Paul, became a minister. So, the good news, kind of a summarization here, the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus died to present you holy and blameless and above reproach to God so that God's purpose for your existence could be fulfilled. Your existence was one of alienation and hostility doing evil deeds. But because of Christ who came to restore our image back to God by being conformed to his image, it means that now our purpose, our reason for existing can come to fruition. John Piper said this in answering the question of what is God's purpose for our life and why did God even create us? In other words, why do we exist? John Piper said this, why did God create man? To show God. He created little images so that we would talk and act and feel in a way that reveals the way God is. So people would look at the way you behave, look at the way you think, the way you feel and say this, God must be great. God must be real. That is why you exist. The point of being created in the image of God is that human beings are destined to display God. Why? Because that's what images do. And the point of being redeemed by Jesus and renewed after the image of our creator is to recover this destiny. So because of Christ, our destiny to be image bearers of God is something that is being recovered. Then Tony Ranke says this, he says, piece by piece, we are beginning to tell the world through our lives and our words and our affections that God alone is awesome. The praise of God's glory will one day fill the globe through us and nothing will give us greater joy. For this end, he says, we were created. For this end, he says, we exist eternally. For this end, we turn back into the tasks and opportunities of our lives now. It's like God is singing to us all through scripture. And this is his lyric, he's saying, I created you to exist for so much more. I created you to exist for the most ultimate, superior, significant, worthy, preeminent thing in existence, me. And I sent Jesus to restore you back to the person who can do that. I mean, how silly 
and how sad to wrap your existence around something so much less than Christ. How insulting to God to take something like sports or relationships or business or money or vocation or sex or vacation and say, this is what I live for. This is what I exist for, man. It's like kids playing with the box instead of the gift it came in. It's like throwing a banquet for someone who stays home and eats Hot Pockets, right? There's a sadness to thinking that's what's going to satisfy and then despair when it doesn't. And we can apply this to so many areas of our lives. Where do you find yourself today as you think about those things that might characterize your life as the things you've existed for? And some of these things are good. They're noble things. Maybe for you, it's like, man, I've spent years just trying to get out of debt. I want to wipe out all the payments I have to make, right? And so you sacrifice your life and you end up hitting that goal. Man, I'm debt free. Man, the house is paid off. All the loans are paid off. The cars, the college loans. Great. Then what? Then what? Then who are you? when the debt is all free and clear. Some of you, man, some of you are maybe part of a company and you've said, man, I've just worked so hard in this company to just kind of climb the ladder. Maybe I want to make partner. I want to be a part owner in the company. So what do you do, man? You sacrifice everything to get to that place. And then what happens? Well, eventually you retire. Then what? Then what? Who are you? Some of you, man, you just like, I just want to raise healthy well-adjusted kids. So man, you just, you spend your life giving everything away to do. That's a good goal, by the way. But then they leave the house. And then you look around and you go, I don't know who I am anymore. I, I expended so much energy and so much time. It became who I was. It's formed my identity. And now that they're gone, I don't know how to look at myself in the mirror anymore. This can't be why we exist. And the proof that comes from that is your total lack of satisfaction when all of those things have actually been attained because sometimes we attain those things that we live for and we find that we've lost a lot of other things in the process for the thing that we worked so hard to attain. Jesus has another option for us. In John 10, 10, he said this, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So God has a, a different plan for our life for the reason of why we exist. And it's not supposed to just end when we attain a goal, but it's supposed to be something that lives on into eternity that creates an abundance for us now, regardless of whether any of those things are ever attained. Because here's the thing, we exist for whatever consumes us. You are existing right now for the thing that consumes you the most. The thing that if I look at you, that's the thing that sticks out the most, right? And so the Bible makes it really simple and clear for us because he says everybody's either consumed by God's glory or they're consumed by self-glory. And when we look at Jesus, what we see is a picture of someone who was consumed 
by God's glory. He was consumed by his father's glory. What does it mean then to be consumed? Well, this is what it means. Consumed by God's glory means that you love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength to the point that every part of you, every aspect of you, every talent that you have, every goal that you set, everything that God has given you to become involved with is a mirror of God's redemptive love for the world to see, right? In fact, I like to think of it like this. I like to think of it like jumping in the ocean. Man, when I get out of the ocean, all of me is wet. And in fact, when you look at me, that will be the most notable thing about me, right? It won't even be me, but the thing that is covering me that came from outside of me, this ocean of water that is drenching me. Here's where it all goes wrong is that my sin, my corrupted self, it makes me the most notable thing about me. The problem, as we've seen, is that we weren't created for that, which is why God is conforming us back to the image of his son. That's the exchange that Paul was talking about when we read in Romans 1. We, we exchange the image of the creator for the image of the things he created to give us the reason for existence. And it's bankruptcy for us every time because we were made to be all about our maker. You were made to be all about your maker. We exist to be mirrors to the existence of God. And we do that by making our lives all about Christ and the life that we now live in him. Galatians 2.20, Paul writes, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, my sins have died with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then he says this, and the life I now live. He says, the life I now live in the flesh, because I haven't gone to meet Jesus yet, I live by faith in the son of God. So, so as, as God is conforming us more deeply into the image of our son, our faith in God is growing. That's one of the, the character traits that grows in our hearts at, with, that, with that conforming process is that our faith is growing in the son of God. By the way, who loved me, who gave himself for me. And then Paul says, man, I don't nullify the grace of God, the fact that I had nothing to do with this process because if righteousness came through the law or just doing good things or just trying to exist for other things that I think will justify me, he says, Christ then died for no purpose. So it kind of goes back to what we talked about a minute ago. Um, man, because we weren't responsible for our existence, we need to understand why we exist from someone outside of us, namely the one who created us. He gets to decide what the reason is for that. So the answer, by the way, isn't necessarily to get rid of all those things we talked about because we mentioned some of those pursuits are good things. It's not necessarily the answer to get rid of the things that God has gifted us in, right? Uh, the interests that we have, the pursuits and the goals because listen, these are things that God has given us because there are ways that we can taste and feel and see and touch and give glory back to God for. In other words, they are types and shadows of the shape and substance of who God is. So here's what I mean by that. Like when I see an amazing athlete or I listen to an amazing musician or behold just some incredible artist, it causes me or it should cause me to see God's glory even more vividly than I did before. Do you see that? As, as I'm saying that, like, when I, like in other words, when I walk through the woods and, and I look at the spring leaves, 
right now, right? And they're budding and they're blossoming in all their colors. It causes me to behold God's glory and it makes my heart beat with an increased joy and thankfulness for him, right? Like when you see like a, a sunrise just reflecting off of the ocean, you see all the rays of light just, just beaming off of it and creating all of these images, right? It causes you to see God more clearly and behold his glory. One of the things I love here is that when summer hits, you see these crazy, crazy sunsets, right? And it looks like the whole sky is on fire and it's all these pinks and oranges, right? And they're all just colliding into one. What are you, a poet now, Ronnie? Like, what is this? I, I, I mean, it, it's just to say that like, man, when we see these things, they are something that gives weight. It gives vividness. It gives an aliveness to what we know about God. It allows us to say, God, all of this came from you and I'm conforming back to you so that my heart can glory in something that is going to give it joy and satisfaction. Because listen, if you exist for anything less, what happens? What happens when it passes? If your life is all about graduating high school, going to college, embarking on a career, getting married, starting a family, owning a house, saving for retirement, building a legacy, then what happens when those things either pass or they're taken from you prematurely altogether? What becomes then of your existence? That's a risk, man. Everything I just described. That's a risk if you're betting it all on that, right? And by the way, COVID-19 shows us that all of us are at risk. But the Bible tells us that the greater risk you're taking is building an existence on things that can cease to exist in seconds. Because I, who would have thought that any of this would have happened? Who, who would have thought that what we're experiencing right now was going to happen? If you would have told me on Christmas Eve that all of our churches would be empty on Easter Sunday, 2020, I would have thought you were crazy. That 700 people would have died in New York on one day? That we wouldn't be allowed to come within six feet of each other? That we'd have to wear masks? That cashiers would have to stand behind plastic shields? I mean, I would, I would have said like, what, what, is there like a new Hunger Games movie? Like what, are you, like, what are you talking about right now? Like what dystopian novel do you like have your head in right now? Because it doesn't sound like reality and yet it has become our reality. And so we like to talk about fragility, but when we experience it personally, we have to have more than talk, right? It has to be more than just, I'm freaking out, or this is a government conspiracy, or what do the experts know, or I'm gonna curl up in a ball of sadness and grief until it all goes away. None of those things work. They don't work. The problem with everything I'm describing is that these are the behaviors that consume the world. And so if we exist, as the world exists for collapsible objects, what happens when their existence passes? Well, you're either gonna collapse with it or you're gonna be carried by something else that was not collapsible. Paul gives us an encouraging word in 2 Corinthians 4. This is what he says in verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. 
And I know some of you are losing heart right now. We can joke about things becoming, you know, hard in terms of our daily routines being shaken up. We can talk about going stir crazy. You know, these are ways that we cope by making light out of situations. But I know that some of you are in a place where you feel like you're losing heart. There's a fear that is gripping you because the reports that we get on Facebook and on the news, that news cycle is something now that is what is shaping your heart. You need something to reshape your heart, even as those things continue to cycle and spiral. Paul has something for us here from his experience, from him being somebody who was conformed deeper into the image of Christ, from somebody who faced things that we're facing right now that wouldn't have been unusual to him. And this is what he says. He says, so we do not lose heart. He said, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, and if you knew what Paul went through, none of it was light and none of it seemed incredibly momentary, but he described it as light momentary affliction. And he said, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So you're seeing a lot of things right now. And if your focus is on those seen things, you are going to spiral in the same way that those seen things are spiraling. Paul is saying, look to those things that are unseen. Look to those things that can't collapse. And he said, for the things that are seen are transient. So he acknowledges that. Those things that we can see that are visible, that are causing us to spiral, they're going to fade. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So what Paul does here for us, and we're talking about this reason of why we exist, he gives us this reason. It's because there is an eternal, eternality. I don't even know if that's a word, but he, there's an eternality here that God is drawing us back into as he is conforming us back into the image of his son. He's trying to keep our eyes off of those things that tend to cause us to consume the things the world consumes for comfort and uh, for significance and for dignity. And he says, no, 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 no. Turn your eyes back to me your creator, the author of life, the one who has given you your reason for being. Like right now, now, I don't want my heart to overflow with hope because COVID might be coming to an end. I want my heart to overflow with hope because the glory of Christ continues to consume me more and more. And whenever I reach my end here, I'll be face to face with Jesus in a world without end. This is why we exist. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that all through your word, we see evidence that you are a God who loves us and cares for us and is drawing us back to the image that was marred 
so long ago. And so God, we thank you that as we look to scripture, as we're reminded of the work that you've done through Christ, that we have so much hope of our images being restored. We don't have to chase after these existences that eventually are either going to pass us by, never come to fruition or be attained and then just leave us hopeless and heartless. We thank you that we find our reason for being. We find the reason why we exist by looking to Jesus, by looking to your son. And so God, I pray Lord that you would draw us back into that truth and that our vision of what life was meant to be is conformed and is reshaped as we learn that you created us to show you, you created us to reflect your glory. You created us to mirror something that is outside of us that has now entered our hearts and become the thing that is most characteristic of us. So continue to do that for us as your church Continue to conform us to this image, the image of Jesus Christ, where we find joy, where we find happiness, where we find hope, regardless of all the things that we see, all the transient things that we see spiraling around us. Lord, be our anchor today. Remind us that we exist for your glory and it's for our joy that you have made it that way. We thank you for that truth, God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.